softly for a minute for me. <clears throat> I want to start this morning in a way I didn't quite expect. That I was as I was sitting there enjoying that worship and especially that last part Joel thank you for leading us to that place that he is so much bigger and greater his mercy endures in way in ways that we can't possibly understand. So I'd like to pray a prayer from the Psalms with all of you this morning. It's from Psalms 136. And I didn't plan on doing this this morning, but it just struck me and I thought it's appropriate. So from Psalms 136, I'm going to read the first part of each verse. And there's 26 of them. And part B of each verse is the same line. His love endures forever. So I'd like to do that with you this morning. I'll say part A. And as a congregation, we will recite part B together. This is a prayer that God's love endures forever. Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Whom by his understanding made the heavens. Who spreads out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and the stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his armies into the Red Sea. To him who leads his people through the desert. Who struck down the great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihun king of the Ammonites. And Og king of Bashan. And gave their lands as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. To the one who remembered us in our low esteem. And freed us from our enemies. And who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that your love endures forever. Lord, thank you for this amazing reminder this morning as we worshiped and as you, we prayed this psalm together. I thank you for this reminder, this repetition that we are praying to ourselves and singing to you, Father, that you are a God whose love endures forever. You have not forgotten us. You have not forsaken us. With your mighty, outstretched hand, you have pulled us from the desert of the season that we are now coming out of, Father. It has been hard. It has been long. But you have been with us. So I thank you and I praise you this morning. And may the people of God say... Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys, for letting me just take a moment to do that. And thank you, Derek, for playing softly for us as we prayed through that psalm. Uh, wow. I'm so thankful to once again be before all of you today. I'm with you, before you today, excited and sad all at the same time. Today's the last time I'll probably be before you for a little while. And I think that's a good thing. And the reason I think that is a good thing is because if I continued in this way, if I continued to come before you and preach, it would mean we're still in search for the under-shepherd of this household. 
But God has brought someone to us in Pastor Dan Nelms. And I'm excited for the future of Emmanuel and what God is about to do in him and through him in the life of this church. It's obvious that, and only appropriate, that Pastor Dan is our new senior pastor, take the helm here and be responsible for delivering the word to us. And I pray that as we move forward, I'll be able to work with and partner with uh, our senior pastor and uh, sharing and the word of God with all of you. You know, as I head into, as we head into this new future together, this new journey, this new chapter in the life of Emmanuel, um, I've taken some time to reflect on the past before we walk into the future. And I, as I reflected on the past, I, I just remember that it was only two short years ago that I had merged my small fledgling church of 50 people at House to House Ministries with this amazing family. It was the best thing I ever did. And even through those difficult and challenging times, you know, the, my brothers, our body of elders, you know, asked me to um, share the preaching responsibilities here at Emmanuel during that season. I've had an opportunity to share this stage with two of the most genuine, sincere, and heartfelt, dedicated men. I've ever had the privilege of serving with. And wouldn't you know it, neither of them are here today. <laughs> Jim DiBiazzo and, and Pastor Ryan, uh, it has been such an honor to share this pulpit with them. But you know, um, as God walked us through that journey and through that phase, and I reflected on all of that, and I now stand at the precipice of the present, looking into the vastness of the future. I stand a little uncertain, and maybe some of you may feel the same. But more than uncertain, I stand hopeful about the future. I stand without anxiety or frustration. I stand more hopeful than I do uncertain because of this great book that I hold in my hand. You know, a lot of people are feeling that sense of uncertainty right now. It's not just us. And we're not alone. I read an interesting article in the New York Times and I'm going to just cite a few passages from this article because I thought it was good, and this will lead us into our discussion, this third part of uh, this series that I've been doing, a series on getting it right. And I want to read a few passages. This is an article from the New York Times, June 12, 2020. The article is titled, On the Future, Americans Can Agree It Doesn't Look Good. Again, I'll just read a few passages and highlight a few things. In this article, the author wrote, Battered by health crisis and boiling over with fury, 
from racial injustice. Many voters are mourning the past and worried about the present and fearful of what comes next. The pandemic and the recession have left many Americans uncertain about the future. The author goes on to highlight two individuals. One, a white man in his middle age, construction worker, still employed because of his line of work in just a really interesting place, lives out in the Midwest. This gentleman said, I think he's just going to sit back and watch it all come down. Another gentleman from Philadelphia, African-American gentleman, young fast food worker, lower income, vastly different walk of life. He says he's just uncertain about where things are going to go. He says, I don't know what's going to happen next, and I'm sometimes even afraid to go out in public. These two men are 700 miles apart, leading different lives with different races, different ages, different ideologies, different income, yet they share one thing in common, that they feel that this American experiment is teetering on the brink of disaster. A lot of people are not feeling real hopeful right now, not sure about the future. I'll give you one final passage from this article. It was a lengthy one. I'm just picking a few things out that I thought were interesting. In this article, it said that a third of Americans, from a recent study done by the Census Bureau, said that a third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety or depression. That was back in May, or rather April. The Census Bureau did another survey back in May, and they said that more than half of the people that they surveyed previously said that they felt down, depressed, or hopeless. So here's our last part of this sermon series, Getting It Right. How do you face the future? In this environment of such uncertainty, which we here at Emmanuel happen to know a little bit about, but in this environment of uncertainty, what does the Bible say? How does the Bible help us to manage this time of uncertainty when the future looks dark and we're just not sure? What does the Bible say? How do we face the future? Here's our opening verse for today. From Deuteronomy chapter 31. We'll turn there real quick. It's only one verse. You can turn there if you'd like. If you don't, that's okay. We'll get there together. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. It's a simple verse. Let me give you the context before I read it. The nation of Israel is coming to the end of their time in the wilderness. A whole generation is gone and has passed. You talk about 40 years of uncertainty. And Moses is giving a charge to Joshua as Moses is 120 years old and can no longer lead the people. And he says these words as they face a future that looks a little uncertain. He says this, The Lord himself, Moses says to Joshua, goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid 
do not be discouraged. Words that I think we can all hold on to today. Words that I think, despite your circumstances, despite your situations, I think we can all resonate with those words today. And as I stand before you, unemployed and uncertain about my financial future, I was reading this and preaching to myself as I was preparing these words today. He has never, ever left me. He's never, ever forsaken me. And so I'm going to give you four things that the Bible tells us about how we can face the future. Here's number one. We have to face the future with confidence. First Philippians chapter 6. Paul tells us to be confident. But what is he telling us to be confident about? Paul says to be confident because the work that the Lord has begun in you, the Lord will see it to completion until the day of Christ. This is a promise that is given to us in Scripture to strengthen us and to make us confident in his word. Listen, guys, today we are filled in a time of turmoil and trouble and uncertainty. We're filled with stresses and struggles that are beyond comparison. And let me give you an understanding of what I mean. During the 20th century, we experienced a lot of different challenges from one decade to another. But it seemed that those challenges were almost contained in themselves. In the 30s, we had financial problems. And in the 60s, we had civil unrest and all that turmoil and chaos. But this is an unprecedented time in our history where we're now experiencing financial crisis, civil unrest, and everything else under the sun that you can imagine. And it's taking us to a place we've never been. And I think those of you who've experienced a little more life than some of us have probably understand that better than the rest of us. But God tells us in Psalms 37, verse 3, he tells us that believers can place their confidence in the fullness of their confidence in God and that we can depend on him. That God is the one who never, ever, ever fails. One thing that I know from the Bible, and if, you've, if you're a student of the Word, if the Word is sweet to you like the manna or that sweet honey, and you just want more and more of it, you'll see that God has always done what He said He was going to do. Just read it. Thousands of years before Jesus came and God came incarnate, He said He was going to do a particular thing. And what happened? He did it. And then Jesus told the disciples all the things that would come in the future. And what's happened? It's come to pass. And Jesus revealed to John what would happen at the end. And we're still waiting. But it always comes to pass. And so we can stand in confidence as we look to the future, knowing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can someone say Amen. Number two, we can look into the future and take on the future with a sense of commitment. 
Because see, Psalms 37, 5 says that commit your way unto the Lord and trust also in him, and he will bring it all to pass. <laughs> you know, God says in his word that you, you, don't, you don't have because you don't ask. God wants us to step out in faith and be committed to him and his word, not halfway committed, guys. We got a lot of halfway committed Christians in the world. And what do I mean when I say halfway committed? You're committed to ideologies of the world and still think you can be walking in the fullness of God, and you can't. There has to be a commitment. If we're going to try, with all the issues that we're struggling with in life, if we're going to try to cope with life challenges on our own strength, we will fail. And you know why? Because you're finite. Your power, your will, your strength is finite. Anyone who has toddlers, no. Okay. My grandson was with me this weekend. I had no power. I had no power. And as much as I love running around with that kid, our power is limited. Our knowledge is limited. God tells us that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so, guys, we have to be committed to what God wants, to what God thinks, and everything that he, he wants us to do and think God is, is written in his word. There's, there's, no, there's no ambiguity here. He wants us to be committed but we have to surrender our wills totally and yield ourselves. I gave you that illustration last week where I took the place of complete commitment and surrender on my knees. And that right there, beloved, is the place of true power. But we can depend on his infinite wisdom. We can see the fullness of the power that he gives us if we're totally committed. Let me read to you Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me go there really quickly for you all. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We must be completely committed. The apostle Peter thought he had it. Peter didn't really experience power until he realized he had none. When Jesus told him, you were gonna, you're going to betray me, you're going to deny me three times, and Peter said, that's not going to happen. And what happened? It did. And when Peter was at his lowest, he realizes, you know what? Okay, Lord, you're right. I don't have this. I, I, I'm sorry, Lord. And he surrendered all of who he was, and he committed himself fully to the Lord. And it was only in that moment of time where Peter experienced the full glory and power of God, but we have to be committed. Number three, we got to be cheerful while we do it. <laughs> you know, being an angry Christian is like the antithesis of Christianity. <laughs> okay? I, 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 guys, we serve the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the giver of life. We serve the only person, the only living God who can give you eternal life, can give you joy in the midst of the storm. Why aren't you full of joy? Why aren't you cheerful 
about what God is doing. And it's not to say that your life is going to be perfect. It's not to say your finances are going to be right. But my goodness, when it rains, I put my tap dance shoes on because I'm dancing in the rain. This is what God does for us in our lives. God gives us a joyfulness and a cheerfulness like we wouldn't believe. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. But so many Christians think negatively. And listen, I get it. My goodness. Early in my journey, I was there too. God, life was beating me down. And I was like, oh, gosh, Lord, you know, I don't want to hear it. Don't. Okay, God, I guess you're doing it, but you're probably not. And maybe I'm not worth it. I don't know. But let me tell you something. The Bible says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And listen, it's a new, it's a totally different thing. Okay, I've been unemployed before. This isn't a, a, my first experience with not being, I'm not proud of that, by the way, but um, it's not my first time being unemployed. I wasn't always a good employee. But you know what's different this time? Is I got, I got the Lord. I, I got the Lord. When I got the news about my unemployment, it shocked me, and I was worried for just a moment. And I said, God, why am I worried? Because when I was still your enemy, you did it. When I wasn't walking with you, God, you did it. And so as I stand here today looking into the future, I know that I have to think positively because I serve a good and faithful God. I have to be cheerful in all that I do. Why? Because it's no longer about me, guys. It's no longer about you. The minute you accept the Lord Christ into your life, you are no longer your own. You belong to him, and you are now an instrument of his will, and you represent the king. Who wants to serve a king when all his people look like this? Come on, guys. We serve a great and awesome God, and because of that, we should be full of joy despite our circumstances. We should be cheerful at all times, and it's not fake. It's not artificial. It's a type of cheerfulness and the type of joy that people go, I want some of that. I need some of that. Because I feel like I'm in the same situation as you, brother or sister, but you know what? Your outlook is so different. Your heart is so different. What is it? And how can I be transformed like you? It's a testimony to what God does in our lives. And we have to walk in that. We have to be cheerful. We must think positively and look to the good all around us. You guys know I joke about it all the time. I find God even in my cereal. (laughs) Come on, y'all. I find God in everything that I do because God is the sole focus of my life. And so I think about him, I focus on him, and we'll be able to win others to Christ if we will exemplify, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, if we will exemplify his love and his joy in the world. This is how we help to look to the future. And finally, number four. And how do we look to the future? Is we have to look to the future with courage. Guys, listen, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy. 
And I'm not going to sit here and claim like some prosperity teachers in Christianity will teach you that it's all rainbow and bubblegum drops and sunshine because it's not. I don't ever see in the scriptures where Jesus taught that for that matter. I don't ever see in the scripture where Jesus says you're going to live a rosy life without challenges and persecution. To the contrary. Jesus tells us that we're going to face struggle. He tells us we're going to face persecution. Jesus says, listen, if they persecute me, what do you think they will do to you? When you carry my image, when you carry my words, what do you think they will do to you? I paraphrase. But in Philippians 1.20, it talks about with all boldness, Christ should be magnified in my body. It takes courage to walk this out. I wish someone would, would have told me sooner about this journey. A quick story about courage. Bishop Rob Watson, he pastors, you may have heard me say this name before, he pastors over a church called Wings of Faith Kingdom Ministries. It's a Baptist church where I got saved. So shortly after my salvation, I felt the calling of the Lord to be more than just someone who attends church. And I didn't know what it meant, but I knew my calling was more. So I sat with him and I said, Bishop Watson, I, I got a different calling in my life and I think the Lord's calling me into his service. And he says, you sure? And I said, yeah. I was very cavalier about it. I was very cavalier about it. I said, yeah, it's fine. He says, you sure? I said, yes, I'm certain. He says, okay, well, it's going to get a whole lot harder for you than it's going to get before it gets easier. And I didn't understand it then. I didn't quite understand it. He says, brother, the minute you say yes, the minute you tell the Lord that this is what you want to do, and this almost seems counterintuitive, he says, the minute you do this, watch your children start acting crazy. Watch your, watch your finances take a dive. And he's spelling out all this stuff. And I said, man, get out of here, man. I'll beat my children. They know what's going on. My, my job is good. I'm all right. I gave him all of these rebuttals, right, to all these things that he said. And he says, no, brother. He says, trust me. Now, he'd been walking with the Lord for decades at that point. He says, brother, listen. This is, this is going to happen. And I didn't quite get it. And about six months later, I was almost divorced. Six months later, I'm walking with God. Six months later, guys, it takes courage to walk out this walk. You know why many Christians leave the faith? Because they get beat up and they just don't have the courage to keep walking. It's hard. It's very hard. The Apostle Paul gives us a great example of that as he faced a life courageously. If you read the journeys of the Apostle Paul through his missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor and into, into Europe, Paul was able to cope with adversities, not on his own power, but he was able to cope with the challenges courageously in life because of the power of Christ and the power of Christ alone in his life. And we too can face the future with courage. We too can look unto Christ to go with us and go before us as we witness the gospel to every corner of this earth. But it is on us to be courageous. Guys, we have something 
that the wealthiest among us don't have. We have something that the most powerful and the wealthy among us don't have. Can anyone guess what that is? We have the protection of the Lord. No amount of money can get you the protection of the Lord. No amount of power can get you the protection of the Lord. It only comes through a commitment and an act of service to him. Can you imagine for a moment with me if God were to dispatch his best troops over your life? Think about that for a moment. Let me give you a worldly illustration. If the president of the United States today was to assign his secret service detail to every single one of you, how much better would you sleep to know that you have guards right outside your door? How much more securely would you walk? How much boldly, more boldly, would you walk in life if you knew that I had armed guards by me and walking with me, walking ahead of me, walking behind me, flanking me on each side as I go, I guarantee you, you wouldn't walk like this. You'd be walking like this, like you're untouchable. You know what, guys? That's exactly what we have. This is exactly what we have because God has dispatched his very best to protect me and to protect you. He has dispatched his battalion of angels to guard you and to keep you and to protect you. Why aren't you acting like it? Why aren't you acting like you are flanked on every side by angels of God? He is the God of angels' armies or the the armies of heaven, and you're walking around like you got a stick for protection. Come on, guys. But you know, you can receive this today. If you're online today, or maybe you're here with us today, and you haven't received the sovereign lordship of Christ in your life, you can do that today. You can walk in that and receive that same protection so that you can step confidently into the, the warmth and the embrace of God and walk out what God is doing. You can feel a sense of commitment to him to walk out his will. You can do it cheerfully and walk through this journey like you have never done it before. You don't have to be stressed, oppressed, depressed. You fill in whatever S you want. You don't have to. You can face the future. Not only the future of our life here at Emmanuel and the life of this church, but you can face the future of your life if you will simply commit, if you will simply have confidence, if you will be cheerful, and if you will walk with courage with the Lord. Let us pray. (laughs) Uh, Father, I thank you so much, Lord for this amazing journey that you've given us. God, I thank you that it hasn't been all rainbows and sunshine. God, I thank you that in this season that we're coming out of, Father, you allowed us to experience some things. Thank you for refining us with fire and trials. 
Thank you for help seeing us into this new phase, this new chapter. Father, thank you for helping us through your word to see how we can face a future that seems uncertain. Thank you that it is because of Christ and Christ alone that we can be committed, have confidence, that we can be cheerful, full of joy, and that we can walk with courage. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, we take this time to thank you for the newness that is coming. Thank you for uh, Pastor Dan Nelms and his family. God, thank you for uh, bringing them to this place. We look forward to this newness. So we bless you, Lord. We lift up your holy name. We thank you this day. And the people of God say, amen. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Be with the Lord.